and opinions expressed on the Hard Time Podcast are of the hosts and guests individually. The Hard Time Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Human beings have thoughts and feelings that do not necessarily affect the professional performance of their duties. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. An inmate attacked a correctional officer in St. Louis County this week after he refused to go back to his cell. This is what we have to deal with, inmates like that. Everybody has an opinion to know about what goes on and stuff in here, but not times out of ten, if anybody that has anything negative to say about a correctional officer, he never even been in the facility, never been inside of the jail. They have 24-7 to sit there and come up ways to outsmart so they always want to try, but we've got to be proactive. Still remain professional and, and do a job. Officers being praised for their quick actions. Lake County Sheriff uh, says, quote, they are heroes in my books. Regular day at the office. This is a show that's all about correctional officers. My name's John. I'm a former correctional officer. I did that for about six years, rose to the rank of sergeant, did several things there. I worked at the state facility. And then I left and I became a 911 dispatcher. Joining me as always is Jake Welder. Jake is a sergeant at a county jail somewhere in the American Southwest. We still haven't pinpointed exactly where. Jake, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I had a interesting week doing some different things, ruining a lot of people's lives, which is always the highlight. Uh, not a lot of community policing going on this week. A little bit, but mostly, mostly just just acts of roguery and uh, playing the chess game that is um, dealing with corrections and inmates. So that was fun. Um, I'm a little little off my game because I'm working opposite shifts and stuff, but I'm here. Jake's joking because as a 911 dispatcher, my job's very different than it was as a correctional officer. And I talk about how often I'm called upon literally to save people's lives. And sometimes I think back wistfully about how much I enjoyed being a correction officer when it was merely my job to ruin lives, to correct people who required penitence at the penitentiary, and I would set them straight and I would correct them. And I miss my career in many ways, but to be honest with you, I don't have to like put on my boots and my uniform and walk around all day and uh, have people insulting me and trying to deceive me. Uh, that only happens now when, when the phone rings, so at least I have some kind of heads up. Uh Jacob, glad to hear that you're alive and well. No major incidents this week. Uh, speaking of major incidents, we're here to talk about an escape as uh, is happening seemingly more and more often. We're going to talk about an escape from Big Bibb County, Georgia, which we've been talking about Georgia a lot in the Failure to Stop Hard Time podcast because it just seems like things in Georgia are not going very well. We're going to cover some of those topics. Joining us today, as always, is our honorary third host of Failure to Stop Hard Time. You know her from the very professional podcast on being a police officer, which you can listen to on Spotify and iTunes and wherever you may find your podcast. Joining me, as always, is Abby Ellsworth, a civilian who examines law enforcement issues. Abby, how are you doing? I'm doing well, John. Nice to see you and Jake. Yes, and you. And, uh, she's joking because uh, Jake, is, Jake is his identity is so secret. As you heard George Fenneman say, some some names have been changed to protect the innocent. And in this case, they've been changed also just to protect Jake as well. Uh, but uh, he's so secretive that uh, despite being uh, my co-chair here on Failure to Stop Hard Time, we have no idea what's going on. So, Abby, we just finished a manhunt in Pennsylvania, the Keystone State, uh, from whence you once hailed. And mm -hmm. uh, 
the state has uh, or the country has real manhunt fatigue. We feel like we're wiping our brows. We just finished this. We just captured that filthy Eagles fan and put him back away. And now we're going uh, through another round of this. Uh, what is going on? What's the current state of things going on with this manhunt? And then we'll kind of go back and see how the heck this happened. And it's and correct me if I'm wrong, as I so often am, but it's not a manhunt. This is a menhunt. <laughs> this is this is a flock of four men, one of which is an accused killer, which, in my opinion, Abby, is one of the worst crimes you can commit is killing. Uh, so what's the current state of things? Do we have any leads? Uh, Jake, do you want me to jump in? Yeah, go for it. The most so these I guess really to um the quick overview is there are four men who escaped from this jail. Uh in the latest is and this is about what a week ago. And so uh early like the eighth to the into the ninth of October. So this happened the eighth and ninth into the ninth, overnight, three thirty in the morning. Um the latest is that they found the car. So there was video of a car that pulled up in front of the jail and apparently dropped off some kind of equipment. And then, so they have found that car. Yes, John. Oh, sorry. She's acknowledging me when I was <laughs> trying to totally let her know that I just had a point to tack on. Okay. Uh, Abby, if I do that again, you do not have to interrupt your own self. What I wanted to, to say was uh, that I actually, to help uh, brief you and the audience, just to yeah. make it a little easier, I do have a video which explains oh, good. everything that occurred. So if you like, I will play that at this time. It's actually a pretty good clip. I believe it's from uh, NEWS, is the agency that put this out. Um, so I'll let them identify themselves, uh, and uh, we're using it for uh instructional purposes because this is an instructive podcast primarily i'll go ahead and throw that on the screen uh the second one that we have is a video of the sheriff uh who will uh, brief us on what he thinks was the root cause but uh, this will tell us almost precisely what happened i'll go ahead and play that okay Hello and thanks for joining us tonight. The Bibb County Sheriff's Office says it is following up on several tips about the location of four escaped inmates. The FBI, the GBI, and the U.S. Marshals Service are helping. And we have new information explaining how those four inmates escaped and what was going on inside the jail late Sunday night and early Monday morning. We have received that information from several credible anonymous sources, including former deputies. Jessica Cha joins us now to break it all down, including new photos showing how the prisoners escaped. It is tonight's top story. Yes, Frank, we were able to speak to sources on the phone and got several photos of damage to both the inside and outside of the window inmates escaped out of. I went out to the jail today to inspect the area myself, and we believe these photos are legitimate. Here's what we know about how the inmates got the tools, where they escaped, and what jail staffing was like early Monday. On Monday, Bibb Sheriff David Davis said they have staffing problems and an old jail. I think uh, there's some elements of all of that, that that played a role in this particular situation here. So how did inmates break out? A vehicle that had been there earlier in the evening looked like they had been tampering with the fence as well as uh, bringing some items uh, into the uh, enclosed area of the fence. Sources told us the driver of the blue Challenger brought tools onto the jail grounds, including power tools. They say intruders cut spots in two fences that look like a path to a second floor day room window. And inmates lowered bed sheets to raise the tools up to them. We believe 
uh, were used by these inmates to, to escape. Sources say inmates used the tools to chisel through the window frame. One said it looks like it would have taken more than one night's work and didn't know why guards didn't hear the noise. Davis acknowledges that. It should have been somebody that heard some tampering and there's some indications that somebody might have. And what was the staffing like on the night of the escape? Davis says there was less than 10 people working in the jail. But sources say there were only three on duty inside the jail's seven blocks. Two are working in the new part of the jail and one working in the oldest part of the jail where the escape occurred. That means there weren't enough officers to respond to a disturbance anywhere in the jail, one source told us. They also say to do a headcount, two deputies must be present in a cell block. With only three officers, that left at least four cell blocks with no supervision for the entire shift. A fourth deputy was working mass to control and could not leave their station. That's been an issue for us, staffing, uh, the conditions of the jail. Now, within the past hour, the Bibb Sheriff's Office did confirm that the photos we showed you are legitimate and show you the scene of the escape. We also reached out to Sheriff David Davis to confirm further details, such as staffing early Monday, but so far he has not responded. Frank, back to you. All right, thanks, Jessica. Again, the four inmates are still free. They are Joey Fournier, Mark Anderson, Jennifer Barnwell, and Chavis Stokes. If you have any information on their whereabouts, you are asked to call the numbers on your screen, including the Macon Regional Crime Stoppers number at 1-877-68-CRIME. Now, we want to explain more about how we reported this story. We rarely use anonymous sources. We like to tell you where our information comes from and show our sources on camera. Viewers tell us that builds trust and credibility in our stories, and we certainly agree. We make exceptions only when we have confidence in our sources and have made every effort to confirm the information on our own. In this case, we got details about the escape from a person connected to the jail. They also sent us photos. We checked that information with several other law enforcement sources. They told us this description of the jail and the escape seemed credible. We visited the jail to check the photos against what would, we could see for ourselves. And we gave Sheriff David Davis and a spokesperson a chance to confirm or deny the information we're reporting. Another reason we're making this exception is the importance of this story. The escape by the four prisoners from the jail, one of them an accused killer, is certainly extremely important and in certain cases could be a matter of life and death. We hope this information helps explain how it happened and possibly prevents more cases like it. All right, so Abby, your initial thoughts. I want to hear your take first. A uh, couple couple notes from me, just technically. You heard some scratching on there. The reason for that was is the reporter jacket. was yeah. wearing a jacket, which was touching her microphone, which is, in my opinion, sort of Bush League that you would do that. <laughs> it happens sometimes, though. Uh, the thing they mentioned at the end was they were talking about their sources. I believe that a correctional officer who's currently employed took pictures and sent them to the media. Hmm. That's my take. Go ahead with yours. Well, I, there are so few media sources these days that actually seek to validate or uh, have, you know, um, what's the word? Credibility, reliability <laughs> of their sources. Um, yeah. I mean, a, a confirmed source. What, what did they call it in Watergate? They had to have two. Anyway, I digress. Independently verifiable sources. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, first, my questions are more around the actual escape and the the inmates. Um, 
I mean, what they're focusing on here is the lack of how it happened and the lack of staffing. Um, anybody that any jail that is that poorly staffed is going to have a problem. So, okay. Can I back up? Go ahead. By all means. Um, I have, I have questions that I'd like to lead with. Lead with questions. And I say, give your questions to Jake because Jake works at a County jail. It's a little bit different than my facility. Uh, frankly, I have questions too, because at my state facility, we had a, I would, and I would be on this post. We had a patrol car that drove around that would prevent anyone from the outside with tampering with a fence, let alone parking inside. Uh, we have a secure perimeter, which is the fence, but you have a sort of a secondary perimeter. You don't have just random vehicles driving up and approaching the prison. So I have questions about that. But if you have questions on how this could occur, I'd say talk to Jake. He works. Uh, I think that his facility may be smaller. This is uh, the same county that has Macon in it. The county has about, I think I saw 160,000 people in it. I don't know how that compares to Mystery County, but maybe he could use that to kind of gauge for what the size of the jail might be. Jake, uh, go ahead and uh, be put to those questions. Well, so these, my questions are to start with, these are four guys who appear to have been in this jail for varying lengths of time. Some of them have been there since 2020, at least one. And so, and to be clear for your, your audience, jail is not prison. So these guys were there either awaiting trial, I believe. So, um, my question is, why four of them? Why would four people work together? Isn't it harder to escape in a group than it would be individually? Uh, possibly, but I mean, with the means of uh, escape here that they discussed, um, there's a, a few things that have been brought up. Uh, possibly, they think a cell phone might have been involved. So that could be one person. A getaway driver and tools could involve someone else's contacts. Maybe uh, someone is more local than the others. I don't mm. know exactly. Um, and also the manpower. They brought up that this could take several days to do those um, old school. I know our listeners can't see, but uh, vertical, very narrow windows. It looks like the old uh, like aeroports on a on a uh, castle or something. And they had to chisel that out to widen it enough for uh, I'm assuming probably Jennifer uh, to be able to sneak through uh, that window um, in order and lower themselves to the ground. Also the amount of sheets, I know this is only a second floor, um, so it's not a considerable height, but you might need that sort of thing. So it was most likely, I would guess a team effort. And yeah, they're all probably pre-trial or they just haven't been sent to a prison yet. And we talked in a, another episode in Georgia about how backed up um, the right. legal system is there. And that's why someone could be there for a very long time. I mean, for us, a long time would be a year, year and a half, maybe two right. um, would be a, a long time. But some of these have been there for you know three plus years. That's why they called them... Um, he said that the, he was an accused murderer because um, he hadn't been adjudicated right. yet. Right. And so these guys may have had, like the last one we did, 
I forgot his name, who escaped on his own. He had been in that in Pennsylvania. He had been in that jail only a week. So these guys have been there, some of them a couple of years. So they they know what's going on. They know the routine of the jail. They know where there's opportunity, right? Most likely. And that's and that's why I think they were probably missing a piece or two of the plan. They didn't have uh, the cell phone or the means to get that in to communicate a time. Um, they know the somebody knew the routine. They knew this wing of the jail would be empty. They knew that the staffing wasn't going to be good. They knew um, the timing. Um, and um, I know a few other things about this facility after doing some research. Um, just like I do, I mean, even with local cases and stuff, sometimes I'm listening to the scanner or uh, looking at the um, things that are going on locally um, that are, it's they're putting out information on social media and stuff. I'll jump on Google Earth and things like that and uh, actually use uh, Zillow or different uh, things. I can actually look up like what the building they're looking at looks like, what the approach is like, the neighborhoods, things like that. So I did something similar in this case. I do tell. <laughs> so where the, the jail is, this older part of the jail, it looks like um, it's shaped kind of like a wagon wheel, kind of like there's a central portion of the jail and then four wings going off of it in like an X shape. And then it looks like there's a um, additional building next to it that may be the newer portion of the jail that they were referring to. So it looks like you have a central like admin section. Um, when you do go on Google Earth, it says like uh, sheriff. It says it's like was at least one time like the sheriff's county building or something. Um, maybe it's deputies that um, staffed it originally. It might moved over to corrections. Um, so they have separate staff. Um, and in this area, there's like a lawyer across the street and there's a bail bonds, which is very common. Um, but it's like a 250 acre complex and there's not a whole lot directly around it so the spot that they picked they had two you know fences near the road and on that side of the road there's not going to be a lot of activity at three o'clock in the morning so um, they picked a good um, good spot a good route of escape and they knew that they were or were fairly certain that there weren't going to be enough officers to respond even if they did hear something the other thing um, they brought up that there might have been a drone that brought some of these things. I'm guessing with the power tools, a drone was pr probably not used, um, especially if they're using like a power hammer or something like that. The type of work that they showed, if you're if you were trying to dig Tom, Dick and Harry by hand or you were using a chisel to get out of Shawshank with a hammer, um, it would take a considerable amount of time. But if you have like a rotary hammer drill um, that I used to use in a previous career, um, that type of work could have been done, not quietly, but could have been done in a short amount of time. Interesting. And what's also interesting, so you referenced 3.30 in the morning, right, is when they did this. Mm -hmm. And the, the it wasn't discovered until 6 a.m. And I believe it was... The guards found the break in the fence. Sorry, they're not guards. Oh, I can't believe I just said that. It was written. It's from the article. The officers found a break in the fence and so then went back and looked at video to confirm that, to figure out who had escaped. It wasn't because they did a count. 
And there was also um, something about the escape happened between headcounts. So in addition to these guys knowing the layout, they knew they could, they knew when the headcounts would happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and those things are scheduled, but at the same time, um, we are a smaller facility. We have, um, we will hold people in order to maintain minimum staffing. We don't, uh, go understat that critically understaffed. Um, but we also have a lot smaller ratios. It is a smaller facility. I, I wouldn't have a um, hundred inmates. So um, I, my staffing would be considerably less. I also work overnight and to answer John's questions, like we don't have someone um, on the perimeter that is roving about the facility. They've replaced that sort of post by having electronic means. We have motion sensor cameras, PTZs, so you can, pan tilt zoom uh cameras we uh they actually installed a reverse view of like our main courtyard at my request um after seven years um they put it in so we have uh, gotten rid of some blind spots and we have the ability to look at the majority of our perimeter just from camera from our control officer can see um and we also do um perimeter checks. You, you've heard members of the Wolfpack going on perimeter checks and stuff and calling in. Um, we're supposed to have two per shift. Uh, we have three shifts, so six should be done daily to look for. And one of the main things you look for is, you know, I brought up, um, it had been a couple days since a perimeter check had been done when I came on shift. So I completed the first one and then I told uh, the grave shift officers to complete another one after midnight. So it would be for the next day. And, uh, found several areas of the fence it looks like had been probed by people so it's very important that you um, try to do those sorts of things to double check and see what's going on and yeah you need enough people for hospital transports it sounds like they do a lot of things in-house at this facility but you still need the ability to be able to respond to things sometimes i hold people and they're upset because they say you only need this many people I respectfully disagree and it's it's my call because I want to try to avoid this type of situation. I guess where I weigh in on that is is that cameras are good. We had fence fence sensors that would show uh, any kind of excessive vibration, like even if the wind would blow these things that would set off an alarm. Cameras fine. Cameras um you know, they could break and things like that, but nothing really beats the proactive deterrent of having an officer there. And when they drive by, uh, my, my car that I would drive by in, I had an, I had an AR 15 and a rifle holder. I had a shotgun and a pistol. Like people weren't even allowed to drive onto the perimeter. In fact, one night I was working and I was kind of parked near the back and I was actually looking through the windows, watching the inmates from my car with binoculars and, uh, to see what they were up to in their cells. And all of a sudden there's a car on the perimeter and uh, I performed a traffic stop on them because like this is a closed perimeter and there's no reason they need to be here. They're, they're on state property. They're extremely, extremely lost. And they said that they were looking for a hotel, which you don't want to stay here is my, my quip, of course. Uh, but, you know, they were, they were an elderly couple. And just case in point, we had someone essentially breach the perimeter. And had I not been there, they would have been able to drive all the way around the prison and never had any contact with staff. No one would have been there to enforce any kind of rules about anything. So I understand that staffing is an issue and technology has grown 
but nothing's going to replace uh, having a person in the car. And to my point, if we had had someone in a car outside the Bibb County Jail who could have uh, either called for backup from a police department or, or sent them on their way or just dissuaded this blue challenger from approaching the perimeter in the first place, I think that would have been integral in, in stopping it. Of course, we're going to hear from the sheriff in a second about what goes on inside and how many people are there. And, and, and their deficit of staffing is something we've talked about a lot. Jake, I believe that we talked about a, a prison break in Philadelphia where there was no one on the perimeter, whether it was in a tower mm. or in a car. Yeah. But uh, they, they see it as a last line of defense, but it's also the first line to the outside. You know, um, we also talked about on an episode uh, about a, a jailbreak in Juarez. I don't think that episode's actually been published. I think I've been sitting on that one, which I need to get around to doing that. But a vehicle approached the, the prison in, in Juarez, just on the other side of the, the national boundary between Texas and Mexico, killed a whole bunch of people and broke a lot of people out of prison there. So that's an extreme mm. example. But I mean, that just shows the tactics of that, that if you don't have someone outside uh, to at least see, you know, uh, an intruder coming or ward them off or dissuade them in the first place with at least the threat of force, this is what you get. Yeah, and, well, and I and at our facility, I would be the, <laughs> at night, I would be the one that would walk up to them on foot. I don't have, uh, we have vehicles, but by the time I get the keys, get in the vehicle, open the Sally port, drive around um, to speak with them. But uh, it's very often that people approach our facility because um, they're confused. There's a whole complex of buildings trying to figure out where they're at. And um, oftentimes I try not to go too hard charging at them because uh, I don't have an AR-15 on me because most often it's DoorDash um, <laughs> for an officer or something. But we also, our checks we do are multiple times per hour. So we do twice an hour uh, regularly on a cell block. And then certain individuals, which you could just walk through the whole cell block, would be like 10 to 15 minutes. So, but yes, I agree. Um, having some uh, robust perimeter security is something that would be good. Um, and it's, we often do have vehicles get close to the perimeter, but uh, we have a large berm that it's very difficult to get super close. But not that I completely disagree with you, John. No, you sound like you agree. You just, you, you don't have that person. Like if, instead of going out there and, and uh, doing a frontal assault on DoorDash, wouldn't it be cool if you saw this on the camera and you just were able to say, you know, patrol unit on the radio, go over to the north side and look for this, you know, red Ford Escort that's on approach. Like, wouldn't that be easier for you? Yeah. Make sure you stop doing doodle jump or words with friends or whatever you're doing in your car and go to would, this, this area. I would, I would listen to the AM radio, got big into AM radio. Um, I used to journal a lot about my feelings sometimes, but, uh, when I worked overnight and I would get sleepy, what I would do is, uh, just, uh, and this, I would teach this in the Academy that if you're on that post and you're out there in the middle of the night and you're by yourself, uh, and they only check your status on the radio once per hour to make sure you're awake or alive or whatever, I would just fire off around from the AR without ear protection and like the jarring noise from that. You know, or I would spotlight airplanes trying to land at the airport, you know, whatever. I would do whatever I had to do to stay awake. Uh, Abby. <laughs> I never know when to believe you. Some of it's true. Some of it's not true. It's all just a story. It's designed to entertain you. It doesn't really matter. What are your next questions about this? Well, I mean, you let me know when you want to play this next clip, I guess. Oh, I'll, I'll play the, the clip from the sheriff because uh, there's some interesting politics going on here that I think right. affect most of the country. 
Right. Okay. I'll play it. This okay. is uh, you saw a clip from uh, the sheriff. His name is David Davis, which is probably the most Georgian name I've ever heard. <laughs> Uh, and he talks about uh, he does. He's giving a press briefing on uh, what the heck happened, Sheriff. And he he has uh, he's not too pointed or too blunt. He's not too much of a character, but uh, he is. Uh, well, I'll just play it and then we'll we'll comment. Jail. That's been an issue for us staffing uh, the conditions of the jail. Uh, we have a 43 year old jail, and this is this happened in the oldest part of the jail the oldest rundownest part of the jail. And so that's I've been talking about. We need a new jail. We need a new jail. We have a jail that is falling down on us, that is breaking down. I think there's some, uh, there's some elements of all of that, that that played a role in this particular situation here. So uh, I'm not blaming anything. We're going to go back and figure out what were the causations of this and rectify those things. But uh, there's never just one one thing that causes something like this, there are several things. Staffing is one of them. But there are things that might could have been done differently as we look into this. Uh, there, there are things that might have uh, uh, alerted deputies as to what was going on that they could have checked into it. But uh, that's all being looked into. We have an internal affairs uh, investigation going into that right now. Uh, but right now, I want to catch these guys. We want to catch these guys. That is the most important thing right now is to get these four individuals back in the Bibb County Jail. Abby, I want to let you go ahead with your takes to see if they're the same as mine. I don't want to steal your thunder, so go ahead. Well, I thought you were going to play the clip where he talks about why the jail did not alert anybody for hours. Oh, I didn't even know that. We need to break down that next. Why don't I give my takes and then you tell sure. me about that. So a main problem that a lot of sheriffs are facing, and this is all across the country, is that sheriffs don't control the purse strings for their own departments. Okay, so you have a, you have a county commission that has uh, the power to uh, set budgets, to levy taxes to a certain extent, a lot of a lot of times, if a tax is uh, new or over a certain amount, it's got to go out on a bond issue, meaning the voters will vote on it. A bond issue would be like this: uh, build a new jail. That's obviously a count, something a county commission would have to put forward uh, for a new uh, spending initiative, something of that size, uh, a new facility of that size. He's talking about it though uh, in a way in which he's like, "This is not my fault. This is the subtext. I told you guys we needed a new jail. I did not get a new jail." I'm getting pushback on a new jail. This breakout happened at the oldest part of the jail. And basically, not only am I going to deflect blame away from my staff or whatever's going on with me or our procedures or our tactics, this is a physical plant problem that is beyond my ability to directly address because I don't have the ability to build a new jail or to physically improve the jail. I'm not going to go down to Home Depot with my credit card and, and fix the jail. Uh, so... He uh, does say he did say there might been could have things that had gone differently. And you could tell that he struggles with that part because that's where he's going to he hear the heat and the criticism over, you know, what what's going on with his staffing. Now, he doesn't get to necessarily control staffing either. If no one wants to be a correctional officer at Bibb County Jail, there's not much he could do about that. But again, that, that, that kind of circles back on on wages and benefits and things like that that attract people to employment and corrections. But ultimately, uh uh, the buck stops here, as we frequently say on the show, and in America, 
And so him being the uh, chief executive of his executive agency, he's he's the one that's going to take a lot of the blame for this, a lot of the heat for it. Before he can take too much blame or too much heat or address exactly what went wrong, he shifts gears towards, we need to catch these guys. And he pounds his fist and says, that's the most important thing to get him back into Bibb County Jail. Now, you guys know me. I'm a little glib. I would just raise my hand and say, what's the point of bringing him back to Big Bibb County Jail if you can't keep him there? Shouldn't we take them to a good jail instead, Sheriff? You know, this is why I can't get employed with a newspaper. I have to be relegated to the annals of a podcast because my quest for the truth is just a little bit too sarcastic. So that's what I see from the sheriff. I see him as in a tough spot. To be honest with you, I don't know why anyone becomes a sheriff. I don't know where the glamour is in being a sheriff anymore, where you're you're half cop and you're half politician. And like I said, you don't you don't control so much over the 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 functioning of your own agency. You don't control those purse strings. You you're having difficulty in a, in a Biden era of uh, economy and, and jobs to affect personnel at your agency. Uh, Georgia, the state of things down there in corrections is very poor. Um, counties uh, are struggling, and uh, this is Macon, so I don't I don't believe that they're a struggling rural county by any means, but. Uh, they just they don't have power to control that. So what what's the glamour of being a sheriff? I don't know. I don't know why anyone is a sheriff. Uh, but what's going on that they didn't notify someone immediately? I know that they didn't they didn't detect the escape until later. Like you said, that they had to review video. I'm sure that they probably found a, a hole in a Rita Hayworth poster. Someone <laughs> said these four boys disappear, disappeared like a fart in the wind. I'm sure it was similar to that. But if you recall in that movie, uh, a whole bunch of police officers were driving out to the to Shawshank immediately. Uh, we had uh, some kind of buffer time where, uh, I don't know, were they afraid to call this in? Were they hoping they could find the inmates on their grounds and they wouldn't have to go public with this? Uh, I'm just spitballing because I didn't even know that part. Abby. <laughs> well, what he says is um, during the, one of his news conferences, he was asked why the delay notified notifying the media and he basically said, we wanted to let you all know as fast as we can. As soon as we found the hole in the gate, we should have called the media and said, we found a hole in the gate. Then you all are going to want to know, did someone escape? Well, we don't know. Hold on. We had to get all of our information together so that we had a complete picture of what happened that we, that, so that we could let you know. I know that we like to get it out while at the same time our investigators are already on the street. Our SRT team, wait, hang on. And I have to, I don't remember what SRT is. I know that SWAT team, yeah. Okay. I know we'd like to get it out while at the same time our investigators were already on the street. Our SRT team, and you never know, we might have caught a break and caught one or two of them in the interim, but indications are they had gone away. Anyway, it's a, I, I would like your opinion, Jake and John. On what is protocol, and is, I mean, in some ways, it seems like he has a legit reason. He wanted to have answers before going public with this. But what is typical in a situation like this? I've been an incident commander during an actual escape, but I want Jake to go ahead first because he's closer in in the way that this facility works. Go ahead, Jake. Okay, so I have. Um... A news article here that talks about the actual timeline so 3 30 a.m uh they have the video but the jail officers it says here did not know um that there was an escape so someone the the corporal that was on light duty that was in control 
uh, did not notice anything, did not see what was going on. I don't know what the camera angles and stuff in the jail were there or anything. And like you said, at 6 a.m., they found a break in the fence. So that's most likely when uh, day shift arrived or um, they, you know, somebody arrived, they finally had someone to be able to do a perimeter check. That's when they found, found out that someone was missing. They heard there's conflicting reports. Somebody heard something um, around 3.30 a.m., but they weren't able, they didn't have anyone available to go and look, find out what the sounds were. Um, I would think if there was something that sounded considerable enough, you would find a way to make that happen. Um, if you had somebody in charge, um, that's where we have to have that ability to say, okay, this is our, this is our policy and procedure on this, but I'm going to, I'm going to send so-and-so to go check this out, like take 10 minutes, 20 minutes and go look. Um, but that didn't happen. So they discovered at 6am and then now they're trying to backtrack and find out uh, when it went on. So then at 9 or 10 a.m., they noticed the schools of the escape and um, the campus police found out, um, they found out about 10.30 at noon uh, or 11.20, sorry, the, they released a press release and then at 3.30 they had the news conference. So they're saying, you know, it was seven hours um, but you got to remember the first three hours, they didn't even know anything was going on. So, um, John, do you want to talk about the process a little bit and then I can get into how ours might be a little modified or do you want me to just keep going on that? Oh, I'll talk about my process and I think it adds a little bit of color commentary to what you're saying. But first of all, I just want to ask a quick question of Abby as a civilian and someone who lives in a community, a very dangerous community. Uh, a very, very dangerous community, Abby. What is your expectation as a civilian for how fast do you want? And this is not a right or wrong question, right? And it's and it's not necessarily you, Abby Ellsworth, but you as a community member. How fast do you want to know about someone breaking out? I mean, there's right that you could say immediately. You could say within a reasonable time frame is 30 minutes or 90 minutes. Uh, just like what what is your expectation since we serve you, the community? What do you want from us? Well, I can see why they needed time to figure out what happened, but that could be the issue. In terms of my safety, I guess I want to know right away, but I also want the right information. So I think there was a little bit of scrambling here, which points to the lack of staffing and the like, oh shit factor of we yeah. just lost four guys. They probably, it's a combination, truthfully, of wanting to get the information, but it, they, it taking too long to get the information and also hoping maybe they, maybe they really are hiding somewhere and maybe they didn't escape. But I, I, I guess I want to know quickly, not hours, but I also want a, I, accurate information. Okay. I mean... You you want you want it all and you want it now. I mean that's how the song goes. So that's okay. You're allowed to want want what you want. I'm going to tell just a, a real brief story just to kind of illustrate the point. To make me look bad? No, ma'am. I would never do that. Uh, <laughs> you, I, if if we had four guys, one of which was accused of murder, being released in the town that I live in, I, I also want to know right away. There's actually there's actually an apparatus for that. We used uh, something called uh, Nixel, where you could sign up for uh, things like that, where the state. They could put out notifications of various things, but I signed up for this because 
anytime an inmate would escape, you know, from work release or something, I would get a notification on my phone, which any citizen can get saying, hey, inmate so-and-so had walked away from work release today. And they would have a description of the person. Well, a lot of times I know inmates by sight. So if I'm out in the community and I see an inmate walking around, I would be able to assist very actively in that investigation because I would say, well, I know uh, John Doe. Uh, I, I got a text saying he escaped from the facility and I see him at the corner of Fifth and Broadway. You know, I would be able to, to assist. Uh, here's a story of an escape from me. Middle of the night, uh, by the way, I think Jake is spot on with uh, them saying that something was noticed between shift change. Very often I was going home at six in the morning and I would get a call at seven in the morning and they wanted to know what the hell happened. And I had to explain to them that everything was fine when I left. That was very common. But anyway, uh, middle of the night, I think it's at the, uh, I'm going to say the count at three in the morning. There's a facility. It's got about 300 inmates in it. Uh, the officer goes around at night. All they do is bed checks. So they count people in beds. Now there's going to be people who are missing every single night because they work overnight at the meatpacking plant or they have a furlough to go to a family funeral or whatever. So uh, I'm the I'm the acting lieutenant um, shift commander of the facility. He calls me on the phone and says, well, we've got an escape. I say, well, what's going on? And it's exactly that situation. Someone who's on work release, but not parole, meaning they're they are on a, a lower level of uh, it's not supervision of the DOC. They are they are an inmate. They're allowed to go into the community and do work. They're transitioning towards parole. So they have a job and they have contacts on the outside, but they sleep in the jail. They're still inmates. And at any time, you know, they, they can be transferred to another facility. So it's kind of halfway between being an inmate and being on parole. I don't know how common it is. They have it here. Okay. So you know about it. So mm -hmm. they tell me this inmate's escaped. I'm like, okay, uh, let me see your count paperwork. And I go through it and uh, I say, okay, sure enough, this is a bona fide escape. It's not something that we need to like, uh, you know, turn on an air raid siren about because uh, the situation I just described, we get people walking away from work release a lot of the time. I go through his count. I've done counts at this unit many times, but I made a fatal mistake. And the fatal mistake was this. I know this officer and I trust this officer. And I could, I, and in the interest of the community safety, I said, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to trust what this officer tells me. I'm going to take a leap. I'm going to trust in my people. And I'm going to start making phone calls. I call the local, uh, the county dispatch, let them know that we've had an escape from the facility. I start faxing out his booking sheet that's got his photo, his vital statistics, what he's charged with, known associates, uh, anything that I've got on his uh, community transition uh, program where he's going out, you know, like what his job is, who his associates are on the outside, a list of his uh, phone contacts, people he's allowed to contact, the people who are on his visitors list, all this uh, great intelligence information for attempting to locate somebody. Uh, one interesting thing was uh, the information I sent out listed him as being about five foot one. And that was a mistake. Uh, his uh, booking information was wrong. When you look at the photo of him, the marks on the wall behind him on the wall, this is why we still do that to this day, had it about 6'3". So the information that I initially put out about this guy walking around having escaped was like, I, I wanted to just say, tell the cops to be on the lookout for this tiny guy. Should sort of stick out like a short thumb, in other words. But And actually, what was going on in reality is that it was a rather tall guy. So they would have looked right past him based off of that original information that I put out. That was another piece of diligence that was due that I missed by going to speed. And finally, uh, doing some research, uh, because after I had, I had woke the state secretary of corrections, which reports directly to the governor, 
reported it to uh, my facility warden and my duty officer, who is a higher ranking person that takes calls at night, who's just someone who's ranked higher than me. I informed all these people, sent out emails to the entire Department of Corrections and uh, to our public information officer, who's going to be releasing this information to uh, the news in the morning uh, because uh, he wakes up at eight or whatever and goes to work at that time. And he's the PIO. He's the one that puts out that information. I have all this a uh, couple hours of downtime, so I'm just searching through his uh, his paperwork and things to figure out where this guy might be at because I too want him back. But only then did I realize that the, his case manager decided to give him uh, furlough time or free time, time where he's just allowed to be out of the facility for no reason, and it's at three in the morning. Can you tell me why his case manager said, "Yeah, you can have you can have downtime where you're not at work, you're not asleep." You're allowed to go out and do whatever you want. Of course, you can't be a you can't have a contact with any of these uh, various criminal people that you obviously wouldn't be able to have contact with on parole. You can't be hanging out with your family at that hour because it's three a.m. They're sleeping. What the hell was this guy out doing at three in the morning? Nothing good. But for some reason, his case manager said, "Yeah, you're good to go at, at a three a.m." So we fucked up the escape. He wasn't on escape status. He was on a I'm just out like I'm supposed to be status. I alerted multiple people who are higher paid than I am made myself look like an absolute jackass to them. I put out a bad description to the local police department, which admittedly I did update as soon as I found out that was that was a, a bad description. I did shake my fist in the air at the guy that books these people and didn't clear out the data before assigning his height as being 5'1", which is probably the guy who got booked into the prison before him. And I, because I trusted my officer and because I cared about the community, I come away looking like a like an absolute jackass. So there is a little bit of time there where you need to really assess your facts and what's going on. All that in mind, this is a different situation. You've got an obvious breach in security. The first thing you should be thinking of is who's missing. You go straight to emergency count. You figure out who, if anyone, is actually missing. And I don't care if they're inside or outside the perimeter. I don't care if they're hiding. They're not in their in their facility for count. So we're going to go to lockdown. I'm going to call an additional staff and we're going to find these guys. Of course, we're going to do a thorough search in any areas that they could have accessed. If these guys are, I presume, breaking out of their cell at three in the morning, they, if they're in their cells, where else can they go? They're not, they're not in, they're not in the chow hall. They're not in the corridor. They're not in the gym. They're, they're, I wouldn't think they would be in the rec yard. And if you were, you turn on the lights and you could see the rec yard. Jake, I wonder if you have a significant lighting outside of your facility, but so there, there's steps that you take, but it, it is possible to do it wrong. Now, did I even get in trouble for that? No. Did I get a reprimand for that? No, I got reprimands for other stupider things, but not for that because I was acting in the best interest of the community. So there are ways to do it wrong, but I also never had your, your Rita Hayworth hole in a poster situation like this guy. So uh, Jake, that's all the contrast I have to add to that. You had a, a more information. So I, I throw the ball back to you, sir. Um. So uh, our, in our facility, I've never had similarly a whole Shawshank or Tom, Dick and Harry escape. No one's tunneled under our facility or escape through a wall, cut a hole, a full on hole in the fence. Um, I have noted on perimeter checks that like sections of the fence, it looks like they'd been, people have been trying to push them out or pull on them, even though it's buried. Um, even if a section of fence has, you know, some tampering that's not going to result directly in an escape, I'll still report it because um, we need to get that fixed so that they know we're paying attention. Um, that's why the perimeter checks are are very, very critical also. Um, and it seems to be the last thing anybody wants to do. Um, but 
we don't have uh, super significant lighting in our uh, rec yard. We do have that in our Sally port um, where we can turn it on. There are lights, but again, they rely on the infrared cameras that we use to be able to see. They're very good at detecting motion. Um, I often say our library is haunted because it detects motion up in the top right corner of the library, um, about six feet off, seven feet off the ground um, where no one can be. So I haven't quite gotten the um, ghost hunters to check that out. Um, it, I don't see any stick figure like figures walking around though. It's just the little squares for detecting motion. Um, yeah, but similarly, showing you something on the screen, but there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Yeah, and it's pretty pretty uh, common. I have a maybe for a Halloween episode we'll talk about ghost stories at the jail. Um, that sounds good. Yeah, there's there's some pretty interesting ones. I haven't. Uh, I believe well, all the, of them. <laughs> the, well, the one that I was involved in indirectly was debunked, but uh, I've heard mm. a lot of good ones. So I can tell some good stories. Um, but similarly, yeah, we would make sure everybody's secure. We do an emergency head count. Um, if you're not able to see that somebody's moving or something inside, you're supposed to look for living, breathing flesh is what they say. Um, you know, make sure they're breathing or moving somewhat or they've changed position. Um, when you're doing your count, we would roll the door and have the inmate stand up or show themselves. Make sure you're not counting a stack of pillows. Um, we've had that at, uh, I, similarly, we have a non-detention facility um, where that's happened before, where we've had bed counts where there's somebody's counting one person in there, but they're not there. We've also had a uh, one bed count that was very infamous where there was two people in the bed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> still, still scars that uh, officer to this day. Um, but uh, yeah, we do an emergency head count. I would be going and printing out their booking information and photos and things like that. Um, I'd print out their call log histories to find out who they've been communicating with recently. I'd pull their um, visitation log if they've had in-person visits or Zoom uh, visits if they're um, from another area or they have exigent circumstances. Um, and then I'd go up to control. I'd be looking for that sort of thing, uh, going up there, checking uh, cameras, going back and looking at footage. And then uh, once I can verify who's been, who's gone, um, we can start alerting other agencies and stuff. I'd call the um, administrator, deputy administrator, whoever answers their cell phone, and then um, we'd start alerting agencies. So my guesstimation, if we went from, we've discovered somebody's possibly escaped to confirming the escape to calling the administrator at least would be at max 30 minutes. Uh -huh. um, so, but it's again we have a small facility our staffing is very uh much more significant um in that we have a much smaller ratio that we maintain so um that's how we would work it would be and then because this facility uh next to us um there's two separate sides of it um, one is like a shelter placement for people that just need to stay there for a little while and the other side is a treatment portion and people are running from both unsecure sides all the time. So our local um, deputies are very adept at finding people in the neighborhood very quickly. They know where they go. They know where the the uh, 
very cheap housing is located near the jail. Uh, what was that called, John? Uh, that trailer park that you mentioned? Oh, we had a place called Penview. Penview. So our version of Penview are lots that are very uh, cheap to rent that people can put um, RVs and stuff on. And uh, so there are, you know, the local trap houses and places where people go. Um, so that's how our, our facility, how an escape would look if we unfortunately had such a thing. So you're saying his comment is legit or it's, it's, it's I have major concerns with it because of uh, the staffing again at kind of my behest. I've been pushing with admin, even working overnight um, that we should have more staff than we do um, so that we have the ability to do hospital transports, which have happened and and then still be able to um, perform all our duties. We haven't had like a hospital transport and an intake at the same time, but we wouldn't have enough staff to do that unless we get to the minimum staffing that I suggested that we're going to be starting here uh, tomorrow. Um, so again, and people don't like being held overnight. I understand they have families and things like that, you know, that um, I have a family you can probably hear in the background. Um, but <laughs> Um, especially being held overnights, a lot of people don't like it. It's boring and whatever, but we need to maintain it for facility security. I don't think there should have been, there should be any minimum staffing, ideally, where you hear noises that you think is an escape and you have no one to investigate it. I understand when you have people that are on light duty, like he had a corporal in control that was on light duty. I understand that, but you need someone with command control, whatever I'm doing at night, paperwork, emails, whatever, is not as important as investigating a possible escape. I will get my happy ass out of my chair and go look myself if I need to. Um, I don't know who is on duty here. Um, so I understand some of that. The other thing that I don't think we've mentioned yet is this was a disused part of the jail. It says that they have the ability, because I looked up their website, to have 1,600 inmates and they only have 800. So this section of the jail has not been used. He says it's the oldest part of the jail. What he left out is that no one is housed there. Huh. This is an unused part of the jail. And they said the door to that wing, they said, usually it's locked at night, right. but sometimes it isn't. So right. why the fuck do you have an unlocked door to a disused wing where you have no one able to check on it. Uh, I, I still think there's enough security concerns and stuff. I don't think this, he's asking for a new jail, but I don't think he was uh, very um, in tune with the daily operations or what's going on at night. Mm. Okay. I, you know, I, I did, never, go ahead. No, you go. I never had enough people overnight. Um, we, we're always put into a precarious position. We actually, at one point, changed uh, our protocols due to an escaped attempt and an attempted murder on an officer where to even take an inmate between our twin facilities on the same campus, we had to take a van driver and uh, two armed officers. So we're, we're moving someone about a thousand feet. And we're having to uh, put on vests and uh, gun melts. And, and it's actually, there's a whole procedure for issuing someone a firearm, which takes a lot of time. And uh, it would, it, so it was a, a huge amount of effort just to move one guy from facility A to facility B, let alone doing an, a downtown transport. Uh, sometimes it would come down to, I'm going to do that. And the other sergeant is going to take command of 
facility A and B and run a he'll run a prison that he's not even physically in. Um, I also had it's probably the most dangerous thing I ever did was we had an inmate who uh, apparently in the middle of the night on the disciplinary segregation unit, some kind of medical problem became unresponsive. It's our duty to get in there and provide care, life saving care. However, most of the time when they do this, it is a feint. It is get to get you to open the door. And that way they can fight you without being pepper sprayed or anything like that. I had to do this with one other person. The typical number that you would do that with is six with one running a camera. Instead, it was me and one other guy. And I look at him and I'm like, are you ready to kick some ass? Because we're going to have to kick some ass. And because we have no one there. Uh, so being overstaffed overnight is a chronic problem that no administration seems to care about. Their, their, their idea of what overnight is, is that everyone is asleep. That is not what is happening. The truth is, is overnight, um, you, 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 skeleton crew is, it doesn't even really adequately cover it. Like you have enough people to cover it as long as nothing occurs. However, our job in corrections is to respond to inevitabilities. Jake, I'm sure you'll know just being a sergeant. Your job is to solve problems, and you can't ever go to work with the attitude of nothing will happen today. Today's going to be a good day. There is no good days in corrections. There's only days that are worse and, and worse than worse. You're responding to bad shit, and administrators never understand that. And I, I applaud Jake for being able to get additional staff overtime, or excuse me, overnight, because it was seemingly nothing that I could get, never get. The facility that uh, I used to work at is uh, going through its most dire straits now. It's actually a lot worse than now. And now they've taken uh, to where uh, they don't even have people working in control rooms. They deactivate control rooms and uh, there'll be several control rooms at a facility and all of the control goes to, to one place. So now you have one person who's doing physical security, electronic security for too big of an area. And uh, just so that we could put another another officer physically on the floor. It's gotten all it's gotten worse. It's gotten more dangerous. And administrators are at home sleeping in their bed. Abby. <laughs> well, you in your prior comment brought up something that I hadn't even thought of, which is, would these guys have been in a cell, which means they broke out of their cells? I didn't even think about that. I was so focused on how they got out of the building. Well, I also don't know how they even got into a disused wing that should be secured right. physically with a lock, but also you would think that you know, ideally you would have... Like I just talked about with someone in a, in a control room, uh, a door would have to be physically opened by the person right. in the control room at the request of a radio request of an officer who's being observed on camera, who's right. at that door saying, hey, I'm at door 125. Can you open it? And then they would open it. And then and then ideally, this is how it worked in the control room, because I did a short stint in there. If a door is open for too long of a time and you can set a timer for any given door, but after, say, 60 seconds or five alarm. minutes. An alarm will go off in yeah. the control room saying, hey, door 125 is still ajar. And not only that, but uh, you cannot go to any kind of any kind of count where any any door in the facility is is red or ajar. In fact, one of the reprimands I got that I mentioned was I one time went to count with a door that was still red. Again, I kind of counted on my officers to inform me that the door was open. They didn't, but I'm the one in charge. The buck stops with me. I took the reprimand for it. So that was the time I took when I did a count at a facility that wasn't secure. I, in essence, the count Although it came back that everyone was there, it didn't count for anything because we could have made a mistake in the count. We could have said everyone was there and somebody wasn't. So I don't I don't know how they're able to get to a wing at the facility. There's, there should never be any physical access. In fact, if it's fully deactivated, no one should be able to access it. You should be able to leave the facility and grab a physical key that's not there 
to get to that part of the facility because there's no reason to go down there. Jake. Yeah, I I agree. It's it's kind of ridiculous. I don't understand why there would be. Well, sometimes it's locked and sometimes it isn't. You know, we we have chronic issues where uh, one of the posts that I often visit, especially at night, is control because they will uh, silence alarms on doors and leave doors propped. And we have certain doors that are allowed to be propped overnight and ones that aren't. Well, now we've switched to where none are propped at any time. <laughs> so they either turn the volume down or they silence the alarm and they leave it propped. And I can't see that from you know my office. I might be able to see on camera that the door's propped, but I don't have like the full, I don't control doors from my office. So I have to physically get up and walk through the facility. It also helps me doing uh, paperwork and stuff. I like to wake officers up that have fallen asleep between counts or uh, if they're in there, on, you know, playing words with friends on their cell phone, and I kindly remind them not to bring cell phones into the facility, um, things like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is their, their security there is obviously lacking the amount of, you know, holding the amount of um, staff and stuff that you need is very lacking. The command that was on that evening, whoever that was, was that just the corporal? I don't, I didn't hear anyone else mentioned. Is that because of a lack of accountability or is that because somebody physically isn't there? Well, he can't be in command if he's on light duty either. Right. Well, you would hope not, but <laughs> again, with having these types of issues. And one of the things that they mentioned too, that um, he left out of the initial, the news left out of that press conference is that someone not too long before had cut a hole in the gate and stuck a cell that cell phone went in through a day room vent so i don't i don't think these are the mission impossible style vents that somebody crawled through there through lasers in order to um get or even like the die hard vertical vent shafts where you're diving for uh, falling off the your mp5 um probably just a window window vent or something that it was stuck in um but how are people able to access get that close to a day room from the outside to put contraband. And if they found that cell phone, what didn't they find? You know, were there, were there multiples? Hmm. Um, and they're saying they still don't know if this was part of it, but that I believe that was probably a dry run for this. Mm. Like, can we physically cut a fence and <laughs> we put this phone in there and then can we covertly communicate? Are you able to hold on to this cell phone so that you can, call us and there's four people involved were there four burners interesting I, um, he's, he's absolutely right on the whole prelude to this though that the, this act of four people teaming up to perform a, a, a feat of engineering to break out of this jail uh, they had been testing boundaries for a long time whether it was officer resolve whether it was the rules of facility whether it was uh maintaining to the regulations of the facility, whether there were any regulations of the facility, observing uh, where the cracks were in the armor in terms of the schedule, in terms of the personnel, in terms of everything. There's probably, there were probably dry runs before this because uh, in a sense, you wouldn't, you know, think, put yourself in their position. If you're going to make a break for it, you know, you kind of want to know that everything you're going to do is succeed is going to succeed. So you, you plan for these things and you get ready for these things because you're putting a lot of eggs in your basket. Once you have a failed escape attempt, any right. good facility is going to split up the four of you. You'll never see each other again and you'll be going interstate compacted, 
you know, post adjudication to some other higher security facility where you know you don't stand a chance of getting out. So this is this is everything or nothing on this, and they succeeded. It's interesting. Like, how do they know when it's go time? How do they know? Okay, tonight's the night. They well, they usually sit around message. eating eating soup, <laughs> nodding at each other. I believe is what we were trained to look for. Uh, yeah, and it's possible, you know, they got a text message and it vibrated between their cheeks, which told them it was it was go time. Um, or, or <laughs> Jake, did you uh, did you hear any cell phones in your facility doing the emergency alert system on oh, uh, yeah. October fourth? I I did not. I was not at the facility when that uh, went off. That would have been wild. But yeah, well, and that's why, like this, I alluded to uh, ruining people's days. Um, I was on day shift. I'm trying to stay awake. We had a lot of staff, which was unusual. Um, everybody showed up, and it's that one day a week where there's like overlap in people's schedules. So I said, okay, we're gonna do shakedowns of every single unit today. So as the units leave for different types of programming. You're going to go in and this is the order we're going to do it so that they can't alert each other visually as they walk by that there's going to be another shakedown done because they will do things like that. Wow. So we had a, a pre-plan to ruin everyone's day. And we had a, a situation where admin had said that one type of item that had been allowed before is no longer going to be allowed. Uh, had to do with books. So... I said, okay, during your shakedown, you're going to look for extra items, minor contraband. Do they have two rolls of toilet paper? That's minor contraband. If they've shaped toilet paper into a shiv, shank, or we, we say shiv on this show, uh, then that's a, that's major contraband. You know, do they have a key? Is there, Do they have six photos of their mother? Um, you know, that's contraband because they're supposed to have five, you know, um, is, is their mother scantily clad? That's major <laughs> contraband. If it's their underage girlfriend, I really don't want to see that. Um, just write the report and I'll stick it in a sealed envelope. They can take it with them later. Um, so, uh, again, that's the type of preemptive things that can be done when you have the staff for it. Um, I don't know why there isn't a plan to do a perimeter check at some point or, you know, often I will do them myself, as I mentioned. Um, so, and the, and yes, and also uh, I was a little concerned on where did they go next? We know now where they left. I'm a little concerned about their choice of getaway vehicle. If that was in fact the getaway vehicle. You can't um, fit five people on a challenger. I would know. I have a yeah. blue challenger just like that. Are you kidding? Where were you on October 9th? <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely breaking four guys out of the Bibb County Jail, obviously. <laughs> but yes, how, how did they fit in there? I mean, there's going to definitely be a nut-to-butt situation in that type of vehicle. Possibly oh, somebody nuts, in the trunk. It's nuts-to-nuts-to-butts in a, in a Challenger. You, right. can't, you cannot fit. It's two adults and luggage in the back. You can't even fit a kid back there. If you got your seats back like me, there's no back seat. So somebody's going in the trunk on that one if that yeah. was actually their getaway car. Maybe two, and then it could be chin to nuts. Who knows? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, go ahead, Abby. Well, question. doesn't that also make it uh, harder to be caught if there are four of you? Uh, would you assume they split up? They get to some, because if if you all scatter, yeah. you're going to be harder to find. It more resources 
are needed. I, I assume they all scattered. Wouldn't you assume so? Because at that point, it's the old, uh, they all, yeah, who needs they, all they shake their hands. So they say, thanks for helping. It's every man for themselves. And yeah. they also make like some kind of blood oath that they won't snitch on each other or something. And then they also say, there's this weird rock out in this field. It absolutely doesn't belong there. <laughs> right. There's a letter in there. And they, they all contracted. And you can probably check the local hepatitis clinics because they probably got that from their blood oath. Um, yes. and, it, and it reminds me because, again, I took pictures from uh, Google Earth and uh, Google Maps. Um, have you seen the episode of The Office where uh, Michael goes missing and they're trying to find him? No. OK, so I might have. His, his uh, they talk to his girlfriend and she's like, oh, do you smell that? that's fresh cookies and she goes in this direction and she's like he was probably hungry and he went in, and then they find a photo in the of him uh dine, dining and dashing in this um in this chinese restaurant and then oh puppies and she's able to like track down he's on this random rooftop so i did the same thing looking at this photo thinking of that um, did they smell pumpkin spice donuts at the Dunkin' Donuts that's north of the jail? Or did they, you know, go to the familiar ground south to the ABC liquor store? Um, you know, is did they stop at their lawyer's office to find out how much time they would be doing or try to post bond and remember I'm on the lam? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but they're, yes, it's very possible that they uh, split up in order to... Um, in order to evade escape. And this is not a rural area. This is, there aren't a lot of uh, things around immediately around the complex because it's in the city and they own that like 252 acres. Um, it's a lot of parking lots, a couple little dive bars, um, coffee places, things like that. Um, but yeah, there's some major routes and even an interstate, excuse me, uh, not too far away. So it's very possible they had different plans. The, the Dodge, challenger if it was used could have been for you know maybe one maybe two of the inmates and the other ones might have um headed in a different turn. direction yeah but i mean there would be if they knew about this earlier on in the evening i think they were banking on the fact that they would have a good head start so uh, they're yeah. not going to be checking cars at this point yeah there could have been other cars in the area the challenge right. just if right. they need to get away fast and then they, they get to where other cars are waiting their other criminal associates their families or whatever who knows yeah i'm just glad they didn't choose a ford mustang because its natural environment is in a is in a ditch it goes towards water so that would have worked well for authorities but not so much for the people trying to escape <laughs> they say uh, never build a prison next to an airport a railroad and a waterway and yet ours was built uh, at the intersection of all of those things so <laughs> just seems to be how it would go interestingly jake i saw the simpsons episode where marge had to find homer and she did the same thing based on the smell of donuts in this one location and then at the end he says well all of those things could have led you over there and, and she goes yeah but the whole town slopes this direction so she, <laughs> she just knew that he wouldn't be walking uphill if all other things are equal so <laughs> right that's true that's true so they the simpsons predicted this once again yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, one of the other things you can go to the um, doc.alabama.gov and look up this facility. Um, you can send footwear packages. Maybe they got some new kicks just before their escape. Um, you can wow. send money, incentive packages, and messages. Um, those messages are probably monitored. That's probably the reason for the cell phone. 
Um, but they don't show the the main warden's face. Him, like myself, he's shrouded in mystery on the website. It's just a, a silhouette with a question mark, which I appreciated. <laughs> you know, when I, whenever I think of your face, it's a silhouette with a question mark. So that's perfect. Just drawing a drawing a nice picture for our listeners. So it's audio only. So they they understand. If you see someone walking around like that, it's me, or uh, it's what's his name here, like Gordon Hutton or something like that. From if you see a gray cloud or someone with a pixelated face, that's definitely him. <laughs> yeah, uh, John Hutton, correctional warden one. Nice, Abby. What are your other questions about this? Do you have any leads, or are you breaking up bloodhounds? Are you going to get personally involved? Are you um, aware that there is a bizarre, one of a kind cross country bullet train that goes directly from Bibb County up to? A certain town in the Pacific Northwest and that uh, as part of the annual inmates raffle, each of these four inmates did win a ticket on that bullet train. Are you concerned at all that they uh, may be in your neighborhood at this very moment? I think the guy that we covered that escaped looked scarier. I don't know. I think they, these guys are all business. They just want to escape. I don't know. I mean, you escape from jail. You don't turn around and go back and find the person that you assaulted and tried oh, yes. to they do? do oh serious there where i was living I, I should find this story there was a guy that went out on a work crew he it, where i used to live it was in the south we had a grass grew pretty fast down there that's all i say about this we had a lot of guys going from the county jail they would go out and they would mow the grass and you would see these guys they would mow the grass at the high school too i remember one time i was in marine biology and they were in the courtyard and a big muscly black guy goes by with a lawnmower. And I, I told the class, that's my dad. And everyone had a good laugh. That was like the first joke <laughs> I ever told. Uh, but no, there was a uh, there was a guy that went on a work crew. He went to go mow the grass. And he was mowing the grass in the neighborhood where he uh, was on charges for domestic assault. He immediately went over and found and raped and killed his girlfriend while on yeah. a work crew. So. I no, guess, the first yeah. thing they want to do is get filthy revenge against the people who are putting them in jail. Well, and I guess in hindsight, that was a naive statement because... Oh, no, it's okay. Uh, no, I'm here but, to terrify and inform. No, no, but as I think about it, you know, this is why people, let, let's say a, a victim of an assault is worried when, wants to be notified when, even if this person serves their time and is legitimately being released from prison so that was a naive question no it's okay and it's it's usually jake's job job to inform those people but he believes in privacy mm -hmm. he will not inform alleged victims when their inmates are discharged from jail jake really no i i think where do you get off sir i'm so gullible <laughs> it's another act of roguery um, I think my biggest concern with these four uh, people, uh, maybe I'm a little jaded, is just some of the first names, the Jennifer <laughs> and Chavis. Like, like we always refer to people by their last names, but if I had a Jennifer, and that might be John's new nickname um, when he's acting a little feminine, I'm not sure. Um, is You're I, would me. I, I would definitely call him Jennifer instead of. Fournier or Anderson, whatever it was, Barnwell and Stokes. So we always use last names. We're always the consummate professionals. Um, I've never, ever referred to anyone's mother ever in the course of my career um, or like three times on Thursday. Um, 
but but yes we would uh, alert people very very soon um and like i said one of my one of my concerns is there are very is very cheap housing um and it's actually kind of a neat area around the jail but uh unlike john i don't want to work when i'm out of work so i he he said he wanted these alerts so that he could he could help with the the manhunt you know he might jump in his jo- dodge know. calendar and run him over i'm not sure you know that I've reversed course on that. I have said twice on Cobb Center and True Crime recently that if I see something, I do nothing because I'm not being paid as much as a sworn officer. So back wow. when I was Captain Action, back when I was young like you, back when I used to kick a sandwich out of a man's hand in the course of de- administering justice, when I would take lives and save lives as appropriate, yes, I did all kinds of things. Now I have a let's see how it pans out kind of attitude, and it served me well. Well, and that was the comment somebody said to me, like, oh, there's this lot near the jail. It'd be close to work and whatever. I'm like, yes, but I have this this picture because I would have a perimeter fence as I do now. I have cameras as I do now. And I'm just like, I, I'm going to be in my backyard grilling or something. And then someone in a uniform is going to jump over my fence and then I have to tackle them on my day off. And it just doesn't appeal to me. But it's going to be uh, awesome. It would be awesome. And I'd have the the footage. It would be open source that I could um a lot a lot of my re- highlights have been deleted they didn't even save them for training my dukes of hazard slide across the table and my uh, the narrow uh failed escape from court and those those things they're all they're all gone now uh me like i we have that depiction now you did john of me swinging inmates around during my first use of force but you can't watch the actual footage anymore it makes me sad i know but uh, in fairness, I'm not sure that something like that could really be captured on film. You know, there's a certain je ne sais quoi to things that just transcends all media. And that's why watching you work, it would be amazing. A sight to behold. Hopefully someday I go to Mystery County and I get jammed up on something and uh, I get to run afoul of you. That would be fun. Uh, I would give you all kinds of hell and you would give it right back. And then we would like, you know, high five or whatever. And then I, and then I would lock up and. And then I would cry because my life was ruined. Uh, but uh, do, do you guys have anything else on this case? Abby, thank you for bringing it to my attention. Uh, if there's anything else that I can demystify or, or further mystify, you know, I'm done for both. Okay. That sounds good. Uh, I don't know. I, I, we can close with this. Do you think because it was so well orchestrated and they had help on the outside that this makes them a little less desperate? I mean, it doesn't mean they won't be violent again, but they're more likely to be successful in not getting caught. They're a cornered animal. Yeah. They're, Even they're, at this point, they're they're completely committed to never going back to jail. They're uh, especially if one of them killed somebody, he's got nothing right. left to, to right. live with. I think both are incredibly dangerous. I think uh, I think that despite uh, the I think. Their escape really is a is a dark commentary on the state of things of the jail, like Jake implied earlier. I don't think this is Mission Impossible that we're dealing with here. I think they will be caught. I think some of them will not be taken alive. I really? think there's going to be a cool shootout, possibly, with uh, a revolver. Someone will slide over a car. A bullet will go through a hat, and the man will take off the hat. And he will thank <laughs> his lucky stars and hug his children and his wife more dearly. And then... Uh, and then one of the inmates will think about how his pappy always said he was a bad seed and he tried to raise him better, but he just wouldn't listen. Those are my hot takes for how this is going to go down. Okay. Also, okay. the soup nodding, where they were eating the soup and nodding at each other that tonight's the night. That is also a hot take that will be revealed 
through the eventual release of uh, soup not footage. <laughs> so, so uh, if you're listening, you need to call all these tips in to the tip line that was amen- mentioned beforehand. Yes, if you do have any tips, make sure you call one eight seven seven Crime Bib County. I'm sorry, I don't remember the number at all. I just made that up. <laughs> and if there's you... a there's a bounty for each of them. One has a higher bounty than the rest. Uh, Jake, why are we on the show? You and I should be bounty hunters. <laughs> uh, because I don't have long, flowing, curly, uh, blonde hair and cool okay. sunglasses. We could get you a wig on the way. The only okay. thing I want to make sure is well, that then you it's and on. I, you and I get leather vests. We need badges on our on chains or on our neck that don't mm. match. That don't <laughs> match. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. I'll, I'll break out my cargo pants and uh, put my wig into a ponytail and it's on. Cool. Abby, any early bets for which one of us will be canceled for a racial epithet? <laughs> no one said anything. No, but once Jake and I are bounty hunters, which one of us will be canceled? <laughs> Jake. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're getting canceled. Okay. So before I'm canceled, I I have a joke about a different type of getaway. Okay. I was about to say I'm gonna bleep this mother. Go ahead. So uh, why did the art thief's van run out of gas as they drove away from the museum? Because it didn't have any extra value. <laughs> Abby, go ahead. Jake, ask her again. Let, let her think about I'm it. I'm not good at Okay, well, the, you, you'll enjoy this because they had Monet to buy the oh. gas to make the van go. Nice. That's a good one. What's the answer? <laughs> oh, just kidding. Uncultured uh, swine. Uncultured swine. I'm very obtuse. Well, that was a pretty okay episode. I'm going to be honest. I thought it was pretty okay. Yeah. Uh, if you are interested in sincere dialogue about the state of things in the criminal justice system, you should follow uh, uh, On Being a Police Officer podcast. Uh, Abby, that's where they could find you on your Instagram handle. Is that your Instagram handle? From- yes. It's, it's so long, I usually don't read to the end, but it's On Being a Police <laughs> Officer is the podcast. High quality episodes over there. You don't usually get a lot of this uh, smoking and joking stuff. If you want to have an actual serious dialogue, that's where you go to do that. Uh, Abby, thank you so much for joining us. Like I said, you're welcome here all the time. I would like to apologize in front of our audience for the way that you were treated earlier today when I said that I am ready that I will do the show in ten minutes, whether you could be here or not. <laughs> and you were like, "Well, we scheduled it for five hours from now." So <laughs> that was uh, that was not the height of professionalism. So I apologize in front of the audience. Jake, to you, I apologize for nothing as always. And to our, the rest of our audience, good night, America. Say good night, Jake. Good night, Jake.